Mark chapter 7 this morning, and uh, today we're going to be looking at a, a portion of Scripture that when you first read it, it almost seems like Jesus is acting out of character. Now, we know that's not the case because Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's literally impossible for Jesus to act out of character. But in this story, when you first read it, it kind of seems that way. And we're looking at Mark chapter 7. I want you to look with me at verse 24. We're going to read down through verse 30. Mark 7, beginning of verse 24. From thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled, for it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it under the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this thy saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid Upon the bed. I want to preach to you this morning about having humble faith. Humble faith. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we do ask for your blessing as we look at your word because, Lord, we know that we are insufficient to understand or apply the truth of it in our own lives. We must have the Holy Spirit to teach us to open our eyes to understand, and to change us through the Word to be more like Christ. And as we see what Jesus did in the life of this woman in response to her humble faith, I pray that we would be challenged and encouraged to have the same kind of faith in Jesus who has not changed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ was known for His gracious words. Luke 4.22 says, And all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of His mouth. But as you read through the gospel records, you find that there's a few occasions where Jesus said some things that came across or could seem a little bit harsh. I think about Matthew 23 as a classic example when Jesus was talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He called them a generation of vipers. He said they were whitewashed graves. He said they were like dirty glasses that on the outside looked nice, but the inside was filthy. That seems a little hard. The truth is, you can be both gracious and say the hard things that need to be said. Our Savior modeled that perfectly because He never spoke in a way that was unkind or in a way that was unloving. Everything that Jesus said 
was spoken from a heart of genuine love and a desire for the well-being and what was best for those to whom he was speaking. And another example of this seeming contradiction is found here in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus is, is, con, is, is confronted by a woman who was not a Jew, who was a Gentile, a Greek woman, who had a daughter that was possessed of a devil and she wanted Jesus to heal her daughter. And the way that Jesus responded seemed rude, maybe, harsh, uncaring, or unkind. Notice again what he said there in uh, verse number 27. Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it under the dogs. Now, this lady would have understood what Jesus was alluding to here. The Jewish people in the Old Testament were known to all the world to be the children of God. The Jewish nation was specifically chosen by God that He would work through them to communicate to all the world the truth about Himself and the truth of the gospel. Everyone else was a Gentile, and some people would even use the term a dog. I know that doesn't sound nice, but that's what people, the way people talked. And so Jesus was using that same language, speaking to this Gentile woman, saying, it's not right to take the food off the table of the children to give it to the dogs instead. Now, some people would hear that and conclude Jesus was calling her a dog. Now, Jesus wasn't calling her a dog. He was speaking a truth that we all would agree with. If you knew of a man who was allowing his children to starve, but yet all of his animals, his cats and his dogs and whatever other pets he might have, had plenty to eat, you'd say, that's not right. If he doesn't have enough money to put food on the kid's table, he doesn't need to be buying pet food. I don't know what he has to do in order to reconcile this situation, but something's backwards here. All right, so that's what Jesus was saying to her. And what she understood him to be saying was that in common thinking, she should not receive anything special from Jesus. She didn't deserve anything special from Jesus. And I think it's very important to notice how she responded to what Jesus said. Jesus makes a statement, a principle we all would agree with. It's not appropriate to take the food off the children's table and give it to the dogs instead. But notice how this woman responds in verse 28. Yes, Lord, you're right, Jesus. That's true. That's not appropriate to feed the pets before you feed the children. But The dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And in that response, we see an example of humble faith. This lady knew who Jesus was and she knew who she was. She knew she had no right to demand of Jesus Christ anything. And yet she humbly petitioned him for just one small thing. 
She wasn't asking for the whole feast. She just wanted a crumb. She just wanted Jesus to heal her daughter. She said, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And Jesus said in verse 29, For this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. I fear that a lot of times in, in our prayer life as Christians and as we relate to God, that we have unbiblical expectations. And this is what I mean by that. We have every right to expect God to hear and to answer our prayer when we pray in faith and when we pray according to God's will and when we pray humbly. We have every right to expect that because God has promised us that. But we do not have a right to demand that God do anything and everything that we want to do. We do not have a right to be arrogant and proud in approaching the eternal creator God and have an attitude, if we don't say the words even, but maybe have an attitude of, God, you'd better do this for me. And we don't have the right to condition our faith in God on God's giving us everything we want. In other words... We must have faith, but it must be humble faith. And when we have humble faith and recognize who Jesus is and who we are, God delights in answering our prayers. Let's see how Jesus taught that lesson to this woman in our, in our message today. First of all, I want you to notice about this woman that she had a problem. She had a problem. In this story, she had a daughter. And this daughter, the Bible tells us, was possessed of an unclean spirit. So she had a, this was an instance of demon possession. An unclean spirit, a satanic spirit, a demon, a devil had, in, had, had, had uh, come into this young girl. And we're not told exactly the nature of how that was manifested. But whatever it was, it was obvious to this mother what was going on. Notice about this problem that this was a very personal problem to her. How many of you in here have children? Raise your hand if you have children, okay? Many, many of us in here have children. Not all of us, but many do. You understand that if your child has a problem, you have a problem, okay? That's a very personal problem. And in fact, in some ways... When a child or a loved one has a problem, it's harder for you than if you had the problem. Because if you had the problem, then, you know, you just kind of feel like, well, I can deal with this, I can handle this. But when your child or a loved one has the problem, that's a whole different ballgame because now there's a lot of it that's out completely out of your hands. And this woman had a very personal problem. She had this daughter of hers who I, I know she loved that was afflicted with this, this condition that was both spiritual and physical and probably manifested itself emotionally, mentally, and in every way. And another aspect of this is that there's, we have no right to blame this mother for this. 
I think it's, it, it's right, right for us to conclude that it wasn't the mother's fault. And again, when we face problems, and we're all going to face problems, a lot of the problems we face are not our fault, right? It's not because we did something and we're suffering the consequences of it. When that happens, we all kind of feel the same way. Or even though that we don't like it, we kind of have the mindset of, you know what, I kind of brought this on myself. But when something happens to us that was of no fault of our own, that's hard to deal with. Because then you have a bigger question, why is this happening to me? And when you can't find an answer to that, when you can't trace it back to a certain source and say, okay, well, this happened and that's why I'm here, that's extremely frustrating. When it just stays a big open question mark, it's very difficult to deal with the problem. It was a painful problem, I'm sure, for her. I wonder how many nights this mother stayed up, maybe praying, maybe worrying, maybe tending to this girl's needs, whatever it might be. I wonder how much sleep she had lost over this. I'm sure that throughout her days, she was to the point of being consumed with how to find a problem, how to, a solution to this problem. It was causing her, I know, a lot of pain. But I want you to notice that even though she was most certainly experiencing a lot of pain, she was not defeated. How do I know that? Well, because of what she did in this story. She's not sitting at home fretting and wringing her hands and wallowing in self-pity. No, she heard that Jesus was in town. She got up and she went to Him because she had hope that Jesus could heal her daughter. It was painful, but she was not defeated. And I want you to understand this morning that when you face problems in life, you're going to experience pain along with those problems. And when it's a problem perhaps that involves someone else, it's going to be another level of pain. And when it's a problem that you can't explain, there's no, you can't assign fault or give an explanation, there's going to be another level of pain. And you're going to experience that pain, but it doesn't mean that you have to be defeated. It doesn't mean that you have to just sit down in the corner and curl up in a ball and hide from the world. There is always hope. As long as there is a God in heaven, there is hope. It was a personal problem. It was a painful problem. And for her, it was an impossible problem. There was nothing she could do. There was no medicine that she could give. There was no doctor who could help her. There was no place that she could take her daughter to be treated. There was literally nothing that this mother could do for her daughter to make her daughter better. It was impossible for her, but not for Jesus. With man it was impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Do you believe this morning that all things are possible for God? If so, say amen. amen. All things are possible. I believe that all of us in here would agree to that. In our minds, we would say, yes, God can do it all. All things are possible. 
So isn't it odd then that when we are facing a personal painful trial, that one of the first things we do is begin to doubt God's ability? Why is that? It's first of all because we have a very real enemy called Satan who likes to plant those doubts in our mind. Second of all, we have a sinful flesh that prefers to lean on its own understanding instead of trusting God. And so we have these temptations to doubt combined with our tendency to fall back on our past experiences and our abilities to figure things out. And so we begin to look at this new problem and we come to the conclusion that we don't know how to fix it. I don't, I don't see how this is going to work out. I, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried this, and nothing's worked. This seems impossible. And because it seems impossible to us, and we have this temptation to doubt God's ability, we end up questioning whether it's possible with God. The children of Israel did it. Psalm says that they tempted God in the wilderness. They said, can God provide a table in the wilderness? Can God? Oh, can he in a spectacular fashion. Here they were, the children of Israel. They were out in the desert. They were thirsty and they were hungry. All right, that's not bad. It's not sinful to be thirsty and hungry. But what did they do when they were struggling with thirst and hunger? They began to murmur and complain. Oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. You remember back in Egypt? Oh, we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks that we could eat. Oh, it was so wonderful there. I wish we were back in Egypt. In fact, you know what? Let's, let's hold an election. Let's appoint a new leader to take us back into Egypt because it would be better for us to be slaves in Egypt than to die of hunger and thirst out here in the wilderness. That's what they said, and that's what they were going to do. They questioned God's ability. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? At one point, they... After having experienced God's miraculous provision through the manna, they began to grumble and complain more. We miss the meat that we had. Our, we don't like this light bread anymore. So what did God do? God said, all right, fine. You want meat? I'll give you meat. I'm, I'm going to send quail. It's going to come in for the next month. You're going to have so much quail to eat that it's literally going to be coming out of your noses. Say, that's not in the Bible. It is. It is. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? You know, for 40 years, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. A lot of them died. In fact, a whole generation died. But let me ask you a question. How many of them died of hunger and how many of them died of thirst? There's absolutely no record in Scripture that any of those children of Israel, any of those Israelites died in the wilderness of hunger or thirst because they didn't. God provided them everything that they needed. So that at the end of the 40 years, they had never once faced death by starvation or death by dehydration. In fact, even the shoes on their feet and the clothes that they wore, God miraculously made it so that they lasted that whole time. Don't doubt God's ability. It is impossible for you and for me to solve every problem. And in fact, most of the problems that we face in life, there's going to be at least some aspect of it that's impossible for us. And that's by design. Because God wants us to learn who He is and who we are. And by giving us a problem that's impossible for us to solve, we are forced to confront our limitations so that we might see God's unlimited. 
God's infiniteness, God's omnipotence, God's omniscience. He wants us to learn that. She had a problem. But I want you to notice, secondly, that she sought the solution. What do you do when you have a problem? Well, you can either seek a solution for the problem or not. I know that sounds basic, but let me explain why I think that's an important distinction to make. Because some people just accept their problems with an attitude of despair. It is what it is, kind of an attitude. There's no, there's no hope, there's no solution, there's nothing I can do, I'm just going to have to learn to live with this. I'm so glad the mom in this story didn't do that. I'm so glad she didn't sit at home and say to her daughter, I know you have this unclean spirit that you're, that you're dealing with right now, but uh, we're just going to have to learn to live with it, honey. No, she sought a solution. Notice what this involved. First of all, there was some effort on her part. So Jesus had come into this area of Tyre and Sidon. And the Bible tells us that he went into a house. So he's not going into the public square to, be, to preach and to teach. But he went into a private home and he was seeking some solitude. It says that he would have no man know it. He was trying to get just a little bit of time in his human form to rest and recharge, you might say. But I like what verse number 24 ends with. But he could not be hid. Oh, what a wonderful truth that is about Jesus. He could not be hid. You know, the world wants to hide Jesus. The world wants to cancel Jesus. <laughs> he cannot be hid. And so this, this mom hears that Jesus has come. Obviously, she's heard some other things about Jesus that prompted her to go seek Him out. But she heard that Jesus had come, and so the Bible says that she besought Him. She came to Him wherever He was, and she fell at His feet, verse 25, and besought Him that He would cast forth the devil out of, out of her daughter. So there was, a, there was a effort here that was put forth by this mother to, in seeking the solution to the problem. You know, James 5 tells us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual, fervent prayer. You know what that is? That's hard-working prayer. Because real prayer is hard work. It is, it is a... It's the kind of prayer that's way more than just reciting your memorized little prayers that you might say before a meal or before bedtime or anything like that. This is when, this, this kind of prayer is when you get serious with God. And you put your whole self into that prayer and seeking the solution for whatever your problem might be. So she put forth this effort of prayer to take her problem to Jesus. Notice that she took her problem to the right person. She took her problem to the right person. We don't know much of the backstory here. We don't know how many other ways she had sought treatment for her daughter. We have no idea. But we know that in this instance, at least, she got it right. Because she went to Jesus with her problem. Who do you go to with your problems? You know where a lot of people go with their problems nowadays? Google. 
I have no way of proving, proving this to be true, but I'm going to speculate something here. I'm going to speculate that on any given day, Google is asked for answers more often than God. I'm going to speculate that more people go to Google or some other search engine seeking a solution than people who go to God. Again, I don't have any way of proving that. I might be wrong. It would be wonderful if I was. But I don't think I am. Who do you go to when you have a problem? A lot of us will turn to resources like the internet. Maybe there's particular people in your life that maybe they're good people. You have every reason to trust them and think they're going to give you good advice and be very helpful. But do you go to them first to the exclusion of God? You see, when we have a problem, our first instinct ought to be to go to God. Because He's the one who said, casting all your care upon me. Cast all your care on me, the Lord says. Why are we to do that? Why do we cast all our care upon Him? Because He cares for us. That's why. 1 Peter 5, 7. We're to cast all our care upon Him because He cares for us. That's why Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's why Jesus said, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Seek, and he shall find. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. That's why James 4 says, Ye have not, because ye ask not. We need to bring God our problems. I don't know what problems everybody's fa facing this morning. I know some that some people are facing. I know of some family problems, I know of some health problems, and I know of some, all kinds of problems that some people are facing, but I don't know everybody's problems today. I don't even know all my own problems. But I know this. I know a God who knows all my problems, and I know a God who knows all your problems, and I know a God, what's more than that, who can solve all of our problems. And He invites us to bring those problems to Him in prayer. And this Gentile woman figured that out. More Christians today need to figure that out. It's wonderful to live in the age of technology where we have so many resources available literally at our fingertips. It's a wonderful blessing, but it can also be a great curse because it can pull us away from dependence and reliance on God. We depend on our own ability to research and to learn and to search this and to read after these people and put together all the information and come up with a correct answer and a solution. And we think, oh, I've got this. I can do it. And we quickly forget how much we don't know. That's the thing about the age of information. We're like, oh, we know so much. We know more than we've ever known. How is it that we're more ignorant than ever? Here's why. Because we've forgotten how much we don't know. We think we're so smart. We think we have all the answers. And so we don't think we have to go to God. We think we can solve the problem. So we don't need to bother God with it. This woman was happily in a place where she knew she didn't have the answers. That this was impossible for her. And that the only way this problem was going to be solved is if she took it to Jesus. She went to the right person. And notice she asked the right question says she besought him 
that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. She makes a request of him, and it's a specific request. Here's the problem. Lord, please solve it. It's okay to be specific in our prayers. Sometimes I, I, I fear we mistakenly think that if, that if we're specific, that somehow we're insulting God. So we just pray generically. Lord, bless so-and-so. All right, well, that's not a bad prayer, but what does that look like exactly? Uh, there's this situation, Lord, uh, if you would just bless those people, bless this person who's dealing with this issue, and it's just this, you know, generic blessings everywhere. Let's get specific with God. She said, I've got a specific problem. I need a specific solution. And Lord, here's what I'm seeking. I would like for you to please cast out this unclean spirit from my daughter. She asked the right question. Don't be afraid to be specific with God. You say, well, how do I know if that's God's will? It might. We'll get to that in just a second, okay? But as long as you're not approaching God with an attitude, I must have this, as long as you are sincere and humble and saying to the Lord, here's the problem, I think this is the solution. Lord, would you do this? Nevertheless, thy will be done. God delights in specific prayers. Here's why. When we pray specifically, God can answer specifically, and therefore He can be glorified specifically. There's a big difference saying, well, I know God blesses me, and saying, let me tell you how God met this need in my life. And giving God specific glory for what He does in our lives. She asked the right question. Yes, she had a problem, but she sought the solution. Now, we're looking at this woman, we're thinking, man, this is a good woman. She's done everything right as far as we can tell up to this point. Surely, surely Jesus is going to honor this woman and just immediately say... Absolutely. Jesus knew she had faith. She had put forth the effort. She was coming to the right person with the problem. She believed that Jesus could do it. Surely we would say, all right, Jesus is going to say, absolutely. Okay, she's healed. But that's not what happened. Jesus looks at this woman and he says what he says in verse number 27, which seems completely out of place. Let the children first be filled, for it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it into the dogs. This woman wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile, Greek, Syrophoenician by nation, verse 26 says. She was not one of the children of God, quote unquote. She was an outsider. She was a stranger. She was an alien in that sense. And Jesus' answer was not yes or no. Jesus' answer, His reply, I should say, Almost seemed like he was brushing her off. Okay, it was a non-answer. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? You ever ask someone a question, they say something back, and you're like, yeah, that didn't really answer my question. <laughs> that was kind of what Jesus did here. He makes this statement of principle that was just kind of open-ended. 
what are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying, no, you're not, not going to? Are, are you calling me a dog? Are, are you saying I don't deserve this? Are you saying you don't feel like it? What are you saying, Jesus? From our human standpoint, I think that's very much how that comes across. And I can't imagine that when this woman hear, heard this, that she would have thought all that much differently than you and I would think about it. What do you mean by this, Jesus? But Jesus knew what was in this woman's heart, and he was making this statement, giving this reply, and setting up for us a situation where we could peer into this woman's heart and understand a very important principle about having faith in God. And so Jesus gives this reply, and the lady responds in verse 28. First of all, Notice the first word. What, what is the first word that she said in verse number 28? Say it with me. Yes. That's important. Jesus said something. And what did she say? Yes. Let me tell you something. Whenever Jesus says something, that should always be our answer too. Yes. Affirmative. Absolutely. Whatever you say, Jesus, it's absolutely true. Yes. What's the second word that she said there in verse number 28? Yes. What? Lord. Don't miss that. Because in that word, she was identifying who Jesus really is and who he was to her. Yes, Lord. Affirmative, Jesus. You're absolutely right. I do not question what you're saying. Because you're my Lord. You're the Lord of the universe. You're in charge of everything. You're in charge of this whole exchange. You're in charge of my life. You're in charge of my daughter's life. You are Lord. Yes, Lord. Now, let's kind of extrapolate this a little bit. Let's, let's try to pull, pull out some principle here. The reply Jesus gave could have been taken as a no. What is our response when God says no? Right? I don't know about you. So let me just talk about me for a second. When I have something that I want to see happen, I have a specific request that I want to see answered, and I pray about that thing maybe over and over again, and it seems like God says no. You know what my response is? But, 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 but God! But, 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 but don't you see why you should do this? No, it should be like this. No, 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 no. That's my response. And it sounds about like I'm doing it right now. I mean, it just, it's awful. That's what I'm tempted to respond when God does something that I don't like. I wish I could say that whatever God has done in my life, every time I've always said, yes, Lord. I wish I could say that when God 
made my life veer in a direction that I wasn't anticipating, that I immediately said, yes, Lord, and I went and followed Him. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that every time there's been a painful circumstance and I've grieved and every time that, that something has happened to a loved one or every time that you know, something's happened to the church that hurt my heart that I said, yes, Lord. I wish I could say that, but that's not what I always respond with. And the fact that she would respond to Jesus' words by saying, yes, Lord, I think speaks volumes. But notice this, she still didn't give up. Yes, Lord, affirmative, whatever you say is true. You're the master, you're the Lord. Then the third word is yet. Yet. Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. She's adopting the language of Jesus' reply here. All right, Lord, if, if I am an alien, if I am a stranger, if I am an outcast, if I am a dog... Notice she's identified who Jesus is. Yes, Lord. Now she's identifying who she is. Yeah, I, I'm, I have no right to come to you and ask for anything. I'm just a dog. But even the dogs get to eat the children's crumbs. Do you understand who we are, who you are this morning? You're a sinner. Hopefully a sinner that's been saved by grace. But still, we're sinners. Job said that man is a worm. Some years ago, people took offense at that language, and so they went through the hymnal, and they changed the words of the song that says, For such a worm as I. They changed that around. So took that out. and said, that, that's just, that doesn't boost people's self-esteem. We're going to change that. And really, that's indicative of the problem that we all face, a problem of pride. A worm? A wretched sinner? Do you mean I'm, I'm, I don't deserve any good thing from God? You mean, you mean all of the good things that I've done in my life haven't earned me any credits in the bank of heaven? You mean, you mean I don't have anything on my account to draw from here? Yes. That's the truth of the matter. That in and of ourselves, we have nothing to offer God. Nothing. And in and of ourselves, we have no right to ask God anything and expect Him to give it to us. And so this lady is not demanding that Jesus give her what she wants. She's not saying, no, you owe this to me. No, she is humbly petitioning Jesus, I know who I am. Can I please just have a crumb? I don't want the whole feast. I just need this thing because if you don't give it to me, I'm not going to get it. You're the only one. If you're keeping an outline, this third point is she had humble faith. She had humble faith. She besought him. She said, yes, Lord, yet the dogs eat under the table, 
the dogs under the table, eat of the children's crumbs. She didn't demand of Jesus anything. She didn't say, Jesus, heal my daughter or I'm not going to follow you. She didn't say, Jesus, cast this unclean spirit out of my little girl or I'm not going to believe in you. Jesus, if you're really the Son of God, then do this. No, that wasn't what she did. She humbly asked. And she was content then with whatever the Lord would give her. Even if it was a crumb. What if you think your need is a whole loaf of bread and all God gives you is a crumb? How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to think, well, God didn't give me what I asked for? Okay, well, why? Listen, if God doesn't give you what you ask for, it's because the thing you asked for was not God's best. And if you're thinking, well, that can't be right because I know what's best, there's the problem. You don't know what's best. You and I think we know what's best. We use whatever measure of intelligence God has given us. We draw from whatever experience we might have had and we make conclusions that seem reasonable to us because obviously we're not going to come to unreasonable conclusions. We're all rational people here, aren't we? And, and yet, and so when God does something that doesn't line up with that, we think, oh man, God missed it. No, he didn't. We must be content with whatever God gives us. Let me say that again. We must be content with whatever God gives us. Why? Because He's God and we're not. Yes, Lord. But can I at least have a little crumb? And notice what Jesus did. In verse number 29, he said unto her, For this saying, go thy way. Because you've acknowledged who I am and you've acknowledged who you are and you are content with what I will give you, whatever that might be, go thy way. The devil has gone out of thy daughter. And these were not just words because in verse number 30, she went to her house and she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. She received the answer that she was seeking because she had humble faith. Let me ask you as we close, how do you bring your problems to God? First of all, do you bring your problems to God? When you're dealing with a personal, painful, impossible experience, do you turn to God? Then when you do turn to God, how do you turn to God? Humbly or pridefully? Do you turn to God and do you ask? Do you petition or do you demand? And then... To take it a step further, how do you respond when it seems like the answer is no? It could be a definite no. It could be a no, not right now. It could be a very confusing answer. You're not sure if it's yes or no. But how do you respond? Do you say, yes, Lord? Or do you try and persuade God why your way is really the right way? When Jesus 
was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. The Bible tells us that he went there to pray. He spent three seasons of prayer that evening in the garden, praying to the Father about what was coming up the next day, the crucifixion. The Bible tells us that he was in such extreme agony that night that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He knew what lay ahead, and it was way more than just the physical pain that he was going to endure. He knew about the scourging. He knew about the beatings. He knew they would rip his beard out. He knew all the things that they would do to him with the crown of thorns and beating him on the head with a staff. He knew all of the physical abuse that was going to happen, but it was even more than that because he knew that he was going to become sin for us who knew no sin. And he knew that there would be a moment that he would cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew all of it beforehand. And that night he was in the most intense agony that anyone has ever or will ever be in. Three times he prayed, three seasons of prayer that night. And every time, the essence of his prayer was, Lord, let this cup pass from me. By the way, he was not asking to get out of the plan of salvation. Because at the third prayer, he prayed, if it will not pass for me except I drink it. He knew he was going to have to drink the cup. He was praying for the endurance to be able to follow through with it in his, in his human form. Okay, But notice what he prayed every single time. He ended that season of prayer with some very important words. Nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. Now if God the Son, in praying to God the Father, two members of the Trinity, the three in one, who were in perfect harmony, who are in perfect agreement at all times throughout all eternity, if Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, how much more do you and I need to have that attitude of humble faith? Lord, this is what I am asking for. But I'm not demanding. I'll take whatever crumb you give me. Not my will. Thine be done. That kind of humble faith is faith that honors God and faith that receives answers from the Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed. This message this morning is primarily for Christians. To help us as we walk with God. To make sure that we remember who we are and who He is and have humble faith. But before I invite Christians to respond, there might be some in here who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. Can I say to you, the same kind of humble faith that this lady demonstrated is the kind of humble faith, faith that one must have in order to be saved. The Bible says that we are all sinners and we deserve to die and go to hell for our sins. But God sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place, be buried and rise again so that we could have the gift of eternal life by placing our faith in Him. And that faith is humble faith. We don't come to God and say, well, 
I'll try this salvation stuff. We don't come to God and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to let you save me. No, we come to the Lord recognizing who He is. He is the holy creator God of the universe. He is righteous. He is just. And we recognize who we are. We are sinners who have offended holy and a righteous God who deserve to be punished for our sin for all of eternity. And we humbly choose to trust Jesus to save us. In Acts 16, Paul was asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul responded by saying, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I wonder, have you done that? Has there been a point in your life where you know that you made the decision to trust Jesus to save you from your sins and humbly placed your faith in Him? If not, and friend, let me tell you, you need to do that today. You need to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to ask Christians to respond to this message. But before I do, I want to ask you to respond. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, would you accept Christ today? In a moment, I'm going to ask you if that's the case to simply raise your hand where you are. And when you do that, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask one of our folks who, is, who are trained in the Word of God, who can give you Bible answers, to come meet you where you are. And the two of you together can go to one of the rooms on the side of the building here, and they can talk to you and show you from Scripture how you know for sure, can know for sure that you're saved. So if that's you today, you don't know Christ as your Savior, but today... You want to place your faith humbly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hand right now? Is there anybody like that? Would say, I don't know for sure that I'm saved, but I want to I trust Christ. Anybody at all? All right, then Christians, listen to me with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Have you been saying, yes, Lord? Or are you been, have you been arguing with God and demanding your way? Today I want to invite you to confess your pride. And humbly approach God and say, Lord, today I've been reminded of who I am and of who you are. And I want to submit myself to your will, whatever that might be. Maybe there's a specific problem that you've been talking to God about, but you've been demanding. And you need to talk to God about that specific problem and say, Lord, this is what I want. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So in just a moment, Dr. Almond's going to begin to play. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. And those who need to take a moment to talk to God, I want to invite you to make your way to the front or maybe you want to just turn and kneel there at your seat or sit down in your seat, whatever you need to do physically. But I want to invite you to respond to the Lord's message to you today.